Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. You belong with him according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of everything that we are ever ashamed of according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's Ephesians 1. It's not the passage I'm preaching from, but it's a good one. Holy Spirit, let us lean on you now as we look at what it looks like to possess what you have given us. Renew our hearts, renew our minds, shape us, give us new thinking. Make us so overwhelmed with the presence of Holy Spirit that we wouldn't just be learning words, we would be encountering your presence In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I'm just going to speak for a few minutes. I Isn't it fun being a Christian? <laughs> All of us together are trying to follow his fingerprints. This isn't just a, this isn't kind of like a ready meal that you can put in the oven and just comes out, you know exactly what you're gonna get. That's, that's not what your relationship with Jesus is meant to be like. Not some kind of frozen meal that you bought at a store that you can just guarantee whatever outcome the box says. That, that's not what relationship with Jesus is meant to feel like. It's meant to feel like a, a wild ride. It's like getting into a bobsled. <laughs> it's, it's like doing something completely crazy, just encountering his presence one step at a time, feeling your way through relationship with him. And um, 
I guess this is an important moment of recognizing that we're all in that same boat together. That we don't lead from in the, you know, the table team as if it's just a ready-made meal. There's a reality of following his fingerprints together. So let's follow his fingerprints for a few minutes. This is going to be almost like an introductory sermon. We'll get to it next week, probably. We've been preaching through, well, I've been preaching through the book of Joshua. I felt the Lord speak to me uh, a couple of months ago from, um, or a month ago, I have no idea where we are in time. (laughs) And um, I felt the Lord speak to me from Joshua 1.11. Joshua speaks to the people and says, pass through the midst of the camp. He's commanding his officers, command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days, you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And um, we've looked at preparing our provisions. We've looked at passing over in the preceding weeks. Um, And today, I'm I'm just going to do a few moments on possessing the land. I felt as I was writing this sermon that God wanted to renew our minds. I didn't realize he would do an object lesson in that before I got up. That's his prerogative. He gets to do whatever he wants at the table. Um, But I I just want to speak really briefly from chapter 5 and chapter 6 in Joshua. We'll do more on this next week. But the, the Israelites are on the brink of seeing realized everything that has been promised to them for generations. Not just to them not just to their fathers, not just to their grandfathers, for generations. This is like hype on another level. Generations of waiting and anticipating and leaning in and rumors and thinking, is it now when it's not? All of that. And they are literally on the brink of all of the promises, they think, being realized. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. They cross over the Jordan miraculously, which is a little bit of a dry run of what God is going to do as they take the land of Canaan, which has been promised a long time ago to Abraham. And um, there are a few things that I believe are like a shift of perspective, of a renewing of their minds, if you like, just as they're about to take possession of the land. Uh, And I want to just highlight those things. Uh, We're going to talk about four, maybe five things. Um, Let's just read chapter five. Forgive me, you're just going to have to bear with me for a few minutes. Joshua chapter five. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. Great name. 
And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to get to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. It's a long explanation of something that is fairly simple. When the Bible does that, it's really trying to teach you something. It's like round, how many sentences were there for saying they hadn't been circumcised so they needed to be? Like, it's really trying to drill a message home here, which we're going to look at in a second. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land for the first time in 40 years. They ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. There was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Again, so many ways to say the same thing. There, there is teaching here that is trying to push into our hearts. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our enemies? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. They're right on the brink of taking possession, and a few things need to happen for them to be able to sustain possessing the land. The first is that they need to be circumcised. When we are on the brink of our promises, when we are on the brink, some of us have been waiting for things for a long time and the door seems to be just opening for us now. I wanna say to you, there's so much here for us to learn. In those moments, just before you walk through an open doorway, Ask yourself the question, have I allowed things to rise up in the in-between, in the period of waiting, that have not been circumcised? See, at the beginning, 
they were circumcised. In the in-between, a generation rises up that is not circumcised. Circumcision was a way, not only that they showed physically the covenant with the Lord for, for the nation's sake, for the Lord's sake, their acceptance of covenant, but it was their personal reminder of the promises that God had made to them. And in the in-between, they'd lost sight of that. Just before they take the land, there is this moment where God reinstates the sign of his purposes to them and their belonging to him. I want to say again, when we are walking through open doorways of the favor of God, there are moments where he's inviting us to make sure that our hearts and all that has sprung up in the in-between is circumcised to him, is recognized as belonging to him. That we have a moment, this is incredibly practical, this isn't about just theory, but in moments where you are aware of the favor of the Lord bringing about promises, stop for a moment and ask yourself and ask the Lord to show you, what is in my heart? heart that actually has not yielded to your presence because I am aware when I enter into the promise what is in my heart needs to be fully yielded in order to sustain the promise if not you'll walk into the promise but you won't be able to sustain it there's this moment where God calls Moses. Moses is on his way to do the very thing that God has asked him to do. But because he's not circumcised, he almost derails everything. And the reality of that, circumcision was just a sign to them. It's not something that I recommend for us physically. That's not what the Bible is telling us to do. But it's a reality of circumcising our hearts, of making sure that we have yielded our hearts to receive all his promises in a way that actually sustains the stewardship of them. Possessing the land doesn't come free. Possessing the promises doesn't come free. There is a reality of yielding. There's so much of what we were doing this, this afternoon that will feel strange to many, but people who've walked this course will understand what was happening because in moments where God is leading us into favor, he is going to give us opportunities, fresh opportunities to yield again. And sometimes when you rush into your promise, you forget the importance of yielding to him because your eyes have strayed to the promise rather than to the prize, and the prize is Jesus. We'll talk about that more in a second. So the first, circumcise yourselves. The second, we're gonna go through these quickly because I don't think any of our minds can take much more. The second, circumcise yourself. Second, nourish yourself. In the shift of season, in the realizing of promise, there is something that is given to them of responsibility for their nourishment that they haven't had for 40 years. They have lived off what has been handed to them. Now they're entering into a promise season where God is entrusting to them the ability to nourish themselves. In each season that you walk with the Lord, you will find that there are different ways that he speaks to you, different ways that he nourishes you. And if you lean on what has been in your feeding, you won't have the strength to walk into what he is leading you into because in each stage there is a different way that he wants to speak to you, to minister to you, and to increase your responsibility to find him. 
And many of us, we enter into promises and we're offended because there is no more manna. And we think to ourselves, I've made a mistake. Surely the absence of manna means that I lost him somewhere. And he's saying, no, no, this is a new moment, a growth moment for you. In this next phase, I'm entrusting you with the seeking out of that which will nourish you because you're growing up. There's this beautiful moment in the Gospels which we've definitely talked about before where Jesus, after he's risen from the dead, he is walking with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it says this remarkable thing, their, their eyes are blinded to the reality of it's Jesus with them. And he talks to them. He explains to them from the scriptures. Can you imagine that? Jesus physically with you, giving, leading you in Bible study. He explains to them the scriptures and how the cross and the resurrection were foretold. He's explaining all of this to them as they're in deep disappointment. And afterwards, when they realize who he is and he disappears from their midst, they say this to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us as he spoke to us. What has just happened? They have walked into a season shift of nourishment where before they had Jesus physically speaking to them so they were reliant on being handed his presence with him right there in front of them. The season is shifting where they're encountering Holy Spirit, no less real, no less present. But it is a new season of nourishment where now they will understand that as their hearts burn within them, that God is bringing them revelation. They might not be able to see Jesus' face. They can experience the burning of their hearts. In each season, as we enter into new promises of God, we have got to be aware that the old ways that we have done things might not be the continued ways that we will do things and that's okay because he is growing depth and maturity in us to find him to seek him to discover him in multiple different ways the manna stops not because they've got it wrong but because this is a new season of nourishment he's growing in them Circumcise yourselves, nourish yourselves. Thirdly, get over yourselves. Joshua has an encounter with the commander of the Lord's armies. And there's this beautiful moment where he's told, take off your sandals for you're on holy ground. What does that remind you of? Moses, burning bush, exactly what Moses encountered, different experience, but the same. I want to say this carefully. When we are led into adventures with Jesus, where you are, when we are walking into the promises that he has made for us and us for, I want to say there are encounters that he wants to lead us into, every single one of us, not just Moses, not just Joshua, every single one of us, where it might not be a burning bush, it might not be the commander of the Lord's armies, because neither it wasn't identical, and there's a reason for that. We're being taught something, which is God wants to encounter you, but he will not encounter you formulaically. But I want to encourage us as a community to lean into personal encounters with Jesus. If you come to church hoping for your 
daily, for your weekly dose of encounter, you're settling for too little. Because there are encounters that he wants to have with you in your home, in the early hours of the morning, in the private space where no one else gets to see you. Some of us fill that space with junk and we forfeit the moments where we get to take off our sandals because we're standing on holy ground. But if we're willing to press into him, if we're willing to believe him for more than just a a little shot of his presence on Sunday to carry me through the week, if we want to actually engage with him for our lives, not just for our weekly religious slot, then I promise you he is faithful to meet with you because he loves meeting with people in the private place. Look throughout scripture and you will find that the most phenomenal encounters are the ones where someone steps aside to encounter him. Not just, oh, this is a public moment, let's all get together. Those moments are beautiful too, as we've just experienced. But I want to tell you, I've been walking with Jesus a long time. My favorite encounters with him were not in groups. There are moments that are so sweet that were just for me and him. Moments that I will not share with anyone else. Why? Because it's just for me and him. And he's inviting each of us into those places. Do not settle for surface level spirituality. Believe God for the take off your sandals moments. Because he wants every single one of us to have those. He's inviting us into those. But uh, I've gone somewhere way beyond what I was wanting to get at in this moment. Get over yourselves. We have to be clear that the, the promises that God is leading us to walk into have nothing to do with the fact that he likes us more than someone else. Now, we might, some of us might be thinking, well, that's an obvious point. Uh, there are a lot of Christians who walk with an air of, we are more important than that group over there. Christians or otherwise, because God has made us the bearers of the promise. If we're not careful, we can become like that at the table. I I have seen churches like this, where we truly believe that we are the hope of a city, and we fall into a thinking that it is about us, and when you make it about us, you suddenly see yourself as versus them. That is not a biblical paradigm. This is a profound moment where Joshua has that kind of thinking. He's armed with generations of promise. He belongs to the chosen people. Never mind that the people had been chosen to bless the nations. They'd forgotten that part of why they'd been chosen. But he belongs to the chosen people. And so his worldview is, here comes a mighty warrior, are you for us or for them? Because those are the options. And I love the answer, which is simply no. Your, your paradigm is so incorrect that I'm just going to ignore you, just say no to that and tell you who I am. If we fall into an us and them mentality, we will not sustain the promises of God. And that's exactly what happens to Israel. They don't sustain the promises because they fall into this mentality where they believe their own invincibility as the chosen people of God 
and they do not understand that they are part of a kingdom that is coming with or without them. And their part is simply a part of the story. We've got to get over ourselves. I want to tell you really clearly, the kingdom of God is coming in Boston with or without the table. It is our joy to join our story to his, but the story is never about the table. The story is never about my ministry or your ministry. The story is never about someone's gift or someone else's gift. The story is never about this person's importance or that person's significance. The story is always about him. And the moment we create an us versus them paradigm where I am more spiritual or I am more important or I have something that is really about me, we've lost the promise altogether. The answer to all of those things will just be no. (laughs) Get over ourselves. That's what he's inviting us into. As we walk into the promises of God, we have got to understand They are his promises about his kingdom. They will come to pass with or without you. It is a joy to be invited into them, but none of us are indispensable in the story. Only he is. It's it's really important for us to get that. Last one. Circumcise yourselves, nourish yourselves, get over yourselves, guard yourselves. I'm actually going to look into chapter 6 for this, but I'm not going to read the whole story. But it's interesting. It's the story of Jericho, which we've referenced before. If you haven't read it, read chapter 6. It's the first battle they face as they walk into possessing the land. It is the inaugural battle of possession. Do you know what's interesting? Is they possess nothing after the battle. The battle is set up for them not to own anything when they walk away. That's, that's the instruction. The instruction that God gives them for Jericho is that they are not to take a single bit of plunder, that anything that is precious, of precious metals, is to go to the house of the Lord, and everything else is to be destroyed. And in fact, when they finish the battle, Joshua says, uh, chapter 6, gosh, I need glasses, verse 26. Don't tell Julian, he'll tease me forever. Verse 26, Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. Why? Because God said that this first battle wasn't to lead to possessing anything. Isn't that weird? Generations of promise. They go in to possess the land. Their first battle, they don't get to possess anything. It's like if you were giving counsel to God, which I know we never do, but if you were, you'd be saying that, like, but this is the promise. You're leading them into the promise, the open door of favor that they're walking through. Surely that means that you want them to possess something. You've been talking to them about possessing something forever. What's he doing? I think he's addressing the question of who possesses who. See, you can so fight for your promise that in the end your promise actually possesses you 
Jericho is all about renewing their thinking so that the promise doesn't possess them. We've been promised all sorts of things individually, collectively. There are promises that we are carrying as a community for this city. But in every moment of stepping into the promises of God, we've got to be clear on who possesses who. Because if the promise becomes so integral that we cannot walk away from it, even when the Lord says, open up your hand and let it go, then you no longer are taking possession of it. It has taken possession of you. To enter into the promise, he's inviting us into a place where we renew our thinking so that we guard our hearts against being possessed by the very thing he wants to bless us with. It doesn't go so well for Israel. As it turns out, the object lesson of Jericho is lost on them and generations later, someone rebuilds Jericho horrifically at the cost of his, both his firstborn and his. Why would you do that? It's when you are so enslaved to something that you are willing to sacrifice anything at the cost of that. Again, the promise is not the prize. The promise, in, as it turns out, is incidental to the prize who is Jesus. All of the battles that they face, and we'll, we'll talk about this, we'll see it in chapter 7 that actually someone ignores the instruction. Why? Already possessed by the promise. But all of these battles, they have such clear instructions because God is consistently trying to safeguard them against being enslaved to that which was intended as a blessing. Anything that becomes something you cannot let go of ceases to be a blessing and is in fact something that enslaves you. Jesus is the only, only thing, only person that you can hold on to and not be destroyed by. That you, we should be unwilling to let go of him. Everything else hold open-handedly. Circumcise yourselves, nourish yourselves, Get over yourselves, guard yourselves. He is the prize. The promise is not the prize. Let's stand together. This has been an, a strange meeting. But God is wanting to renew our thinking, renew our minds. He's wanting to renew my thinking. Honestly, at the end of the day, the fruit of these meetings, for me personally, are not about what you learned, it's about what I learned. Sometimes we can be so interested in how our neighbor is growing and ignore the fact that we have grown stagnant in our own faith. And so I want to encourage each of us, this is not about who else is impacted today. What is he, what is he inviting you into? Because Faith is both personal and collective. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, he is wanting to renew our minds personally and collectively. Holy Spirit, I don't fully understand all the things you're doing, but we yield ourselves to you. We invite you to renew our thinking. I ask you that you would continue to teach us through the story of Joshua, through history with you that you would teach us to yield to you, to your ways, that you would teach us how to keep in step with how you're inviting us to grow and be nourished in each season, that you would teach us, God, and lead us, 
not to view ourselves as more integral to the story than we are, but to recognize you, you alone take center stage. That we would be a people who pursue your promises with everything that we have because you are the one who gave those promises. But equally, that we are people who guard ourselves against being possessed by those promises that we would be people who are open-handed with what you've said if you ever take us somewhere else. All of this is about walking with you. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, won't you tangibly walk with each of us? In Jesus' name, amen. This is the Sunday morning podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.